everybody, and welcome to the first episode of the Carolina Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob Turner. And let me just first start off by saying that I am super, super excited to have this podcast finally underway. This is something that I've been wanting to do for a while now and and blessed to, to be able to say that we finally got it underway. And I'm really, really looking forward to, to seeing where this podcast goes in the future and, and hope that my love for Carolina athletics is, is reflected and appreciated by everybody listening. So let me first just start off by giving a little background on myself and a, and a little idea of what I want this podcast to ultimately be. Like I said earlier, my name is Jacob Turner. I actually grew up in Wake Forest, North Carolina, about 45 minutes away from Chapel Hill and and was born into a Carolina household to to say the least. My, my dad's a huge, huge Carolina fan. And ever since I can remember, I've been going to Carolina football games. We've had season tickets for a long time now, 10 plus years. And I've been going to as many Carolina basketball games as I can, watch every single game, football, basketball, no matter where it is, tune into everyone and try to make as many baseball games as I can, as many men's, women's soccer games as I can. Anything Carolina athletics, I, I simply just love and, and enjoy watching. I'm a, I'm a huge Carolina fan. I'm a diehard Tar Heel fan and somebody who just loves everything, everything Carolina athletics. So I actually recently just graduated from Appalachian State University in May with a degree in communication journalism. You're probably sitting there asking yourself, why is a Appalachian State Mountaineer graduate having a Carolina podcast right now? And a fair question to ask, but like I already explained, diehard Carolina fan, love my time up in up in Boone, however, and uh, was uh, blessed to be a part of a sports radio team up there. Appalachia State, for those who don't know, has one of the best college radio stations in the country. Uh, was on the sports radio team there and really got to hone my craft at, at sports broadcasting and done some sports TV broadcasting, play-by-play color commentary for, for different sports and done some live broadcasts and radio shows and podcasts up in Boone about Appalachian State sports and about some of my other interests in, in, in the sports world. And I was really blessed to, to be up there for four years and, and, and get my degree. And now being back home in Wake Forest, being a lot closer to Chapel Hill, you know, I've always wanted to have a Carolina podcast, but as a student, you know, with everything going on, you really don't have a ton of time to, to sit down and have a podcast like this. It isn't necessarily related to your schoolwork or related to your specific school that you're going to. So, you know, when I got back home this past summer, I've I knew for a fact that I was going to start a Carolina podcast at some point and took me all the way to September. But, you know, now we're here and I'm super, super excited to to get this podcast going, as, as I've already expressed. But so what I want this podcast to be and what my aim is for this, um, I want it to be by the fans for the fans. I, I think there is a ton of Carolina podcasts that I listen to. I love the Carolina Insider podcast. I love the Inside Carolina podcast that they have going on over at 24-7 Sports and um I want this podcast to really represent the fans. I want this to be the I want to be the voice of the fans and have fans on here. I've already got a few guests lined up that are huge Carolina fans just like me. Some other fans of different teams will be playing this year in football already lined up and, and ready to be on the podcast in the next few weeks. And to me, that's super exciting. I've got some really good feedback and I thank everybody that has reached out to me and has, you know, followed us on Twitter. If you haven't, go on Twitter and follow us at Carolina Talk Pod. That's at Carolina Talk Pod. We'll be posting all the podcasts on there, different Carolina Tar Heel news, links to different things that, that I think every Carolina fan will be interested in. So make sure you go over there and follow us on Twitter. But like I was saying, I want this podcast to really represent North Carolina athletics and the fans that make North Carolina so special. Carolina has some of the best fans in the world. You can sit here and argue with me all day, but I'll, I'll take that fact to the grave. This is a school that is loved by so many 
thousands and thousands of people. And um, I want this podcast to really just represent the fans' opinion because, as we all know, in college athletics and any sport, or professional, semi-professional, collegiate, um, you're nothing without your fans. Fans make the money come in. Fans make uh, game day special. Fans make programs be able to even happen in the first place. So I want this podcast, the Carolina Talk podcast, to represent the fans because, quite simply, I'm a fan. That's all I am. I'm a fan of North Carolina, somebody who always has been. So that's enough about me. That's enough about the podcast in general. I want to give you a little preview of what we're going to do today. Getting ready to jump into the the review of the pit game in which North Carolina came out victorious at Keenan Stadium this past Saturday, 38-35. to A tight game, but a, a good bounce-back win for the Tar Heels, something they certainly needed. And then we're going to go in and real quick and preview the Miami game coming up this Thursday, nationally televised game on ESPN. A, a big game for the Tar Heels, not only for the team, but for recruiting and, and for the fan base. We want to see this Tar Heel team go down to Miami and, and play like we know they can. So, First, let's just jump right into it like I always like to do with any podcast I've ever been on. I just want to jump right into the topics, so let's do it. Let's talk about 12-20 kickoff at Keenan this past Saturday in which North Carolina took on the Pittsburgh Panthers. I know we all love those 12 o'clock games. Who doesn't? Jokes, of course. But Carolina, as a fan, I was there. Um, Love the new seats. I think it was a good addition to Keenan Stadium, which I, I think is one of the best venues for college football in the country, um, being right there on campus, such beautiful surroundings around the stadium. I definitely have to give credit to the North Carolina event staff. I think they've made some really good changes inside Keenan Stadium, anywhere from some of the food they have available now to the free water uh, coolers that they have, the seats, of course, a good comfortable addition. Obviously, you don't want to be sitting in your seat too long as a fan. You want to be standing up and cheering on your team, but Definitely have to just say that the experience down there was good. The only criticism, I guess you could say, I did have with the uh, people in attendance that game is there simply wasn't many. And I trust me, guys, let me just first say that I understand that the ECU loss and the way we started this season, specifically that game in Greenville, the blowout loss to the Pirates, um, was a lot in the sand for a lot of people, especially how last year went, only winning three games, and one of those are coming against a pit team, a, a Division One team. Um it was a. It's been a tough couple of, of years for for North Carolina football. I won't sugarcoat that at all. But regardless, if you want Larry Fedora there or not, I know there's a lot of fans that do. I know there's a lot of fans that simply don't. They want him out, and um, I can I can definitely sympathize for for both sets of fans there. But come out and support the Tar Heels. These are student athletes that love the school as much as you do. They go out every single day for months and months and months and practice and go out there on, on Saturdays and, and try to compete to represent this university in, in the best way possible. And I know we've had some suspension issues. We won't go into that too much. My thoughts and in, in, on on that topic in the NCAA is, is a whole nother podcast in itself. Um, I could sit here and rant and rave about that all day. But what I'm really trying to get at is as a fan who, no matter how we're doing, I'll be there every Saturday if I can make it. No questions asked because I love Carolina football and I love this university. So come out and support, whether you're a season ticket holder, whether you're somebody who can simply, you know, who lives in the area that can afford tickets. It was a hot day on Saturday. I know that probably has something to do with the attendance, but I encourage each and every one of you listening, if you can make it to a Carolina football game, come out and support this team because this is a team that, regardless of the record right now, they need your support. It's so much easier as a former athlete and someone who played at high levels growing up. 
having somebody there and having a crowd there to cheer you on just makes you play so much better no matter what level you're playing at. So come out and support these guys. They work hard every week. The coaching staff works hard every week. The, I'm sure the players and, and the coaching staff don't want to be in the position we're in either, but they're working hard every day to get out of it. So that's my rant about that. But moral of the story, please come out and support the Tar Heels. Um, they need it. We need all the fans we can get out there and, and, and so we can represent how much uh, this university means to us and how much this football program means to us as well. But going into the pit game, I thought obviously a 38-35 victory for the Tar Heels. I think it was really a tale of two halves. Um, the Carolina defense in the first half simply just didn't look very good. They were really weren't getting pressure on Pittsburgh's quarterback, really finding it difficult to get him on his toes and make him make a quick decision. And the second half was really the complete opposite. Carolina came out and really played well. They looked like a team that made adjustments at halftime as a defensive unit and they came out with a different game plan, a different way to um, stop that that Pittsburgh excuse me, offense and really excelled at it. I thought Carolina overall definitely deserved to win this game. I thought they were the better team. And really, I was, I've been saying this all week, talking to fans and, and, and people that, that just enjoy college athletics and, and college football specifically. I think Carolina probably, the scoreline flattered Pitt a little bit. I think Carolina probably should have won this game 45-28. to 28. Daz Newsom had a great bit of skill to get down to about the six-yard line in the second half. And after some some penalties and, and some some errors and poor clock management by the offense, um, we ended up on about the 20-yard line, and, and Freeman Jones came in, who's been exceptional this year, and unfortunately missed a field goal. And really, that should have been at least three points and, and would have gave us a, a lot bigger lead going into the rest of the game. So I think the scoreline a little bit flattered Pittsburgh, especially based on how well our defense played in the second half. But nonetheless, Nathan Elliott, starting quarterback, 22 for 31, 313 yards, two touchdowns, and zero interceptions. Let me just say that Nathan Elliott had a good game. He had a, definitely had his best game of the season, maybe the best game of his Carolina career. Um, but he didn't do anything special. He was very solid, and, and, and as a quarterback, that's really what you want. That's the minimum of what you want. You want your quarterback to be solid, to make no mistakes, didn't have any interceptions in that game, didn't have any turnovers, and really just come in and lead your team. I think Nathan Elliott is a great leader. I think in terms of a Power 5 quarterback, I personally, as a me, I don't think he is a Power 5 conference quarterback, and that's mainly just based on his physique and his really his lack of of ability to throw the throw the deep ball. I don't think he has he has, you know, probably one of the weakest arms in the ACC. And that's not a shot at Nathan Elliott. I think he's done a good job since he's come in, not a great job, but one of the things I believe, you know, going back to Marquise Williams, Mitch Trubisky, I mean obviously Mark Mitch Trubisky is just a whole other phenomenon and and all, but really going back to Marquise Williams is Marquise Williams was not the most accurate quarterback, but what he had especially in a Larry Fedora offense, was the ability to run. And he really just had that it factor. He made things happen. He was somebody that you know, on, on in any given play could take off and run for a touchdown and could really you know take off and, and throw a great ball, go throw a, a decent deep ball to some of our receivers. And I know we had a, a lot better receiving core with Marquise Williams. Three of those guys are in the NFL right now for a reason. And nonetheless, the one criticism I really have of Nathan Elliott is I just, or the two criticisms I have of Nathan Elliott is I think his arm strength just isn't to the Power Five conference level. And I think while he does things solid, he just doesn't do anything special, or at least we haven't really seen that yet. 
And that's not a knock on Nathan Elliott. I just think at this level, if you really want to compete with the highest teams and get to the level that Carolina football is trying to get to, you have to have a quarterback that can do that for you. And while Nathan Elliott played a really, really good game against Pittsburgh, he just didn't do enough of those special things that you want out of your quarterback. And that's why I'm interested to see, which we'll go into a little bit, if Chaz Surratt gets some playing time in Miami. And I'm and just a little tidbit, I'm not quite sure if Chaz Surratt is the answer either. But I think he, with his ability and his athleticism, his ability to run, I think he might add a little bit different of a dynamic to this offense, which I think we really lack right now. But going back to the Pittsburgh game, I thought Daz Newsom had a really good game. It was good to see another wide receiver emerge in the uh, passing game for North Carolina. Daz Newsom over 100 yards receiving, had a couple of huge plays, a couple of uh, shifty moves. And I remember listening to an interview with Anthony Ratliff-Williams in the preseason. He was saying Daz Newsom's nickname is Firecracker. And I love that. Uh, basically was saying that this is a guy that you never know what's going to happen, but can bang, bang, make a great play out of nowhere. And I think that's what we really saw with Daz Newsom. His best game is a Tar Heel. Really, I can't remember him having uh, that good of a game, probably going all the way back to the to the Louisville um, game at home early in the season last year, which Daz Newsom had a, a really decent, decent showing, excuse me, in. Um, it was good to have Michael Carter back, obviously, out with that wrist injury. And I think I was saying this during the game while I was watching it at Keenan Stadium. I think Michael Carter, I think he's a great leader. Coaching staff really rants and raves about him. But I think having him in the offense really just adds a totally different dynamic to this North Carolina backfield. I think Antonio Williams, the Ohio State transfer, has had a, a really solid season so far. Um, had over 100 yards rushing again against Pitt. But I think that Michael Carter, Antonio Williams, and even Jordan Brown combination is very, very good. I think it's one of the best running back cores in the ACC. I think little people would argue that. But the fact of the matter is Antonio Williams just doesn't have a lot of film on him. So I'm interested to see, you know, was at Ohio State for a few years, played a little bit, but not a lot. So, you know, these teams right now don't really know a lot about Antonio Williams. So I'm interested to see if he can really keep it up for the rest of the season. They obviously know a lot about Michael Carter and Jordan Brown. But to me, Michael Carter, to a light comparison would be a, a Gio Bernard kind of thing. I know that's a, a big choose to fill for Michael Carter, but Carter just kind of has that it factor. He has that athleticism, that ability to make you miss and, and, and just make things happen out of nothing. And I think we're starting to see Antonio Williams have that same thing, that ability. You can just see when you watch him. I know my dad was saying this during the game this past week that Antonio Williams, if you were to put Antonio Williams, Michael Carter, and Jordan Brown side by side watching their tape and you – had to pick out which guy was the the four-star, the, the five-star potential running back. I think it would be pretty easy to see that it is Antonio Williams. Michael Carter, obviously a close second. Jordan Brown, who does things so solidly and is a, is a good pass blocker as well. I think you would easily point out Antonio Williams and Michael Carter being really those two guys that could play at any school in the ACC and, and play decent, decent minutes as well. So I thought Michael Carter having him not only as a running back option, but as a guy that can catch out of the backfield, obviously had that uh, passing touchdown, was wide open through the middle. Nathan Elliott found him great to, to, to stretch the lead out in the first half. And thought Michael Carter, it was really good to see him back. And I think he had a really, really good first game of the season. And I'm excited to see what he continues to do alongside Antonio Williams throughout the rest of the season. Um, focusing and going back to the defense, I think the defense, like I said earlier, played very poorly in the I wouldn't say very poorly, but just didn't really show up in the first half. I think one of Carolina's biggest issues this season, besides really the California game where the offense just simply didn't show up, that's a game that Carolina's defense played extremely well in. 
But against ECU, they just really failed to get any pressure on the quarterback against the Pirates and against the Panthers, especially in that first half against Pittsburgh. We saw it a little bit, uh, some changes in the second half. I know Larry Fedora talked about how the at halftime and some of the defensive players like Cole Holcomb in the postgame interviews after the pit game came out and really said that there was a lot of adjustments made at halftime by Papuchas and the, and the defensive staff for Carolina. And uh, it really showed Carolina came out in the second half and just looked a totally different defense, a lot more aggressive. I think one thing that a lot of people may not have seen that I noticed um, during the game was that J.K. Britt, K.J. Sales, we're not in the game a lot for the Carol- for Carolina. I know KJ Sales was a little bit banged up and came back in later in the game and was really responsible for a late touchdown for Pitt. Um, a lot of that had to do with him nag- carrying a nagging injury. But J.K. Britt didn't play a lot in the first half and came back in the second half late. Not sure why that was. Obviously, Larry Fedora not someone to touch on injuries, so I'm not sure why J.K. Britt was was out there. Must have been a little banged up. And obviously, Miles Dorn not being around. Miles Dorn. Well, I saw an interview with Larry Fedora yesterday. And I think a lot of Carolina fans have been kind of trying to figure out what's been wrong with Miles Dorn. And you could see Dorn in the background of the interview, and it looks like he had a white knee brace around his knee. Was dressed out full pad, so I think he has been practicing. I'm not sure if he's going to play this Thursday night, but while I can't confirm it, it looks like Miles Dorn has had a knee injury since that California game. It's good to see him in pads at practice, but this is somebody that Carolina needs back. So if you look at that, the absence of Britt during some of that game, the absence of an injury the Naglin injury by K.J. Sales for some of that game, and, and Miles Dorn not being there as well as the defensive leader Malik Carney. That's four of Carolina's best defenders that either didn't play at all in that game or were banged up there in that game and, and didn't play as much minutes as, as they would have liked. So you saw a lot of young guys in the secondary having to come in and play significant minutes. And while I think they played well, I think that's a fact that some Carolina fans overlooked looking going back to that pit game is the fact that that secondary was so, so young. And that's one of the reasons that I think Carolina struggled with the passing game combined with the fact that we weren't getting a lot of pressure. But that slowly, once we started to get a little bit of pressure in the second half, I thought Cole Holcomb had a great game at the linebacker position. I thought Dominic Ross had a decent game as well. Not as good of a, as a, of a game that he had against California where I thought he was just a man amongst boys in that game, had one of the, the best performances in a Carolina jersey I've seen for a few seasons now from a defensive player. But I think that Carolina's defense showed what they can play like if they're playing confident if they're playing aggressive in that second half against Pittsburgh so I think that Carolina overall looking back to the pit game I don't want to sit here and touch on it too much it's been discussed a lot over the past few days by countless people but my opinion on it being there I thought the fan attendance unfortunately was poor I thought the stadium was one of the most quiet quietest venues I've been in one of the most quietest I've seen Keenan Stadium in the 10 plus years I've been going to games a lot of fans um, were not up for it we're not you could just tell that the fan base really didn't have any expectations going into that game and no matter what was happening the fans were just not super into it but regardless thank you to all the fans that did come out um, Keenan Stadium such a special venue like I've touched on and I know the fan attendance will get better as the old cliche goes, winning solves everything. So if Carolina can can continue to win, I'm sure that fan base and, and the attendance at Keenan Stadium will continue to go up. But second takeaway from that game is that Nathan Elliott played really solid. The offense looked a little bit more dynamic with some of these other playmakers emerging. Daz Newsome, um, De'Ami Brown, Michael Carter, all having really, really good games alongside Anthony Ratliff-Williams, of course, who I thought 
for a majority of that game, wasn't getting the ball enough. There was a couple of instances where, especially before halftime, Anthony Ratliff-Williams was fed up on the pat, on a couple of drives at the end of them. Um, had him one instance where he had his hands up walking off the sidelines, pointing directly at Larry Fedora. Um, there was one right before halftime after a drive where Anthony Ratliff-Williams didn't get any touches, and he um, was walking to the sidelines with his hands up looking at the coaching staff. Um, a little reminiscent of the Antonio Brown situation for the Steelers a couple weeks ago where he really just threw a, a fit against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, for not really being able to get the ball. And I can sympathize a little bit with Anthony Ratliff-Williams because he is our best player on offense by a long shot, in my opinion. He's the most dynamic player on that on that offense. Um, he's a playmaker. He's a guy that every time he gets the ball seems to make something happen. And it is a little bit worrisome um, that he wasn't getting as many touches as I would have liked to see in that game. But nonetheless, he's somebody that's always going to be around and somebody that Carolina can rely on. So hopefully in this Miami game on Thursday night, I think in order – for Carolina to win, Anthony Ratliff-Williams is going to have to get more touches and, and make things happen a little bit more than he was able to do against Pittsburgh this past Saturday. But third point I want to make is, like I said, the defense showed how good they can be when they play aggressive, when they play confident, and when they play smart. The Carolina cut down on a lot of penalties in this Pittsburgh game, played a lot more discipline than we've seen um, really throughout the Larry Fedora. Discipline has been a, a problem for, for Carolina Um, on both sides of the football in terms of penalties. But I thought we saw a good step in the right direction against Pittsburgh, and hopefully that discipline and aggressive play carries over to Thursday night in Miami. But moving on to that Miami game, obviously a Thursday night kickoff, nationally televised game. Big, big game for the Tar Heels going against a very aggressive, very fast and physical football team down there in Miami well coached by Mark Richt um, former Georgia coach and this is a team that I'm a little bit torn between in terms of how good they really are in the Miami Hurricanes obviously number 16 in the country right now sitting at three and one started off the season with really a blowout loss Uh, obviously the scoreline doesn't reflect it too much 33 to 17 loss to LSU but I watched that game and LSU just completely completely obliterated Miami at every facet of the game Bounced back with a good win against Savannah State second week, which can't really take anything away. Still a 77-0. That's a huge victory, a huge scoreline for Miami. But Savannah State, a team that you really, no disrespect to Savannah State, but they're just not a good football team. They're not at the same level as Miami, not even close. And then went on the road to Toledo, got a 49-24 victory, which I thought was going to be a little bit of a trap game for the Hurricanes in a way because I think Toledo is a good football team. And then going on the road um, all the way up to Ohio, uh, not a lot of Miami fans are going to be there. Toledo's a good, solid football program that um, every single year seems to have a good football team up there. And uh, Miami went in there and really just took care of business. And then last week, um, took on former North Carolina coach Butch Davis's FIU, Florida International um, Panthers, and came out with a 31-17 victory at home against them. So Miami's sitting at 3-1 on the season. Really haven't played anybody besides LSU, so this is probably going to be uh, Miami's biggest test of the season so far besides that opening game matchup against LSU when, quite frankly, Miami was just outplayed, outfought, and outhustled for them, I'd say, the whole game. I thought LSU just looked a superior team, and obviously they're having a great season so far, doing a lot better down in Louisiana than some fans thought they would and some analysts across the country thought they would, but Miami really... The reason I'm so torn between them is because I haven't really seen enough from them in the way they ended the season last year after winning 10 games nonetheless, 
But the way they ended the season last year, losing three in a row, and then going into this season really getting blown out against the only good team they played, makes me torn between whether this Miami team is the real deal or not. I'm not fully convinced they are. Does that mean they're not good? At, does that mean they're good enough to beat Carolina? Absolutely. This is going to be a really tough matchup for Carolina, and obviously, based on some of you know how our past two seasons have gone, I'm not really going into this game with too high expect of expectations. I think this is a game Carolina can win, but based on how we've done over the past two years against Power Five teams, against really just Division One level opponents, this is not a game I'm going confident into. But focusing on Miami a little bit more, Malik Rozier and Nkozi Perry, there's a quarterback dilemma at Miami right now, if you want to call it that. Um, Malik Rozier obviously started for the Hurricanes last year, had a decent season. For me, I've never really been a huge Rozier fan. I think he's a solid quarterback, but I don't think he's anything special. Has thrown for 611 yards, five touchdowns, two interceptions this season, also has five rushing touchdowns as well. And in Cozy Perry, 317 yards, six touchdowns, and two interceptions this season for Perry is a decent stat line, especially for a guy who's he has more touchdown throws than Rozier this season. Obviously, not as many with Rozier having those five rush TDs as well, but Perry came in last week against FIU and looked really, really good. And I wouldn't be surprised if he gets the nod this week against Carolina. If you just compare Ro- Perry and Rozier side by side physically, Perry is just a freak athlete. He's a couple inches taller than Malik Rozier. Is a lot more dynamic on the field. Has a great arm. Has a great ability to run. I think he just has a little bit more athleticism than Rozier. And Rozier hasn't been a little bit hit and miss Regardless of how good Miami's been over the past couple seasons, Rozier hasn't been the most consistent player for Miami. While he's been solid, I think Perry has a little bit more of an upside. So I'm going into this Thursday night matchup completely expecting Perry to be the starter. Um, if he's not the starter, I think he will get a majority of the snaps alongside Rozier unless Perry just comes into this game and does not play well. Obviously, Rozier has a little bit more experience, a lot more experience, excuse me, than Perry. So it'll be interesting to see how Mark Richt and his staff handle this quarterback battle that they've got going on down there. But focusing on the running game a little bit more, Travis Homer and DJ Dallas, only one touchdown each for them this season, um, 500, about 500 yards combined between the two. So the running game really hasn't been anything too, too special um, this season. I think Carolina, for the most part, defensively this year has handled the running game pretty well. I think it's been the passing game that they've struggled to deal with, especially as a secondary with the likes of Miles Dorn being out and like last game with Britain Sales not seeing the field as much as you would have liked due to whatever reason, whether it's injury or other problems going on. We'll really never know. But going into this game, I think – Miami will will try to establish a running game early on, especially with that quarterback controversy. But I think Carolina will be able to really, based on what I've seen from these two guys, Homer and Dallas, this season, I think Carolina will be able to handle it pretty well. And I think instead you're going to see uh, excuse me, Miami go into the passing game and using the passing game a little bit more than trying to run the ball and, 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 and slam it down North Carolina's throats, especially with the likes of Malik Carney coming back in this game. We'll touch on some of the guys that will be back from the uh, shoegate suspension, if you want to call it, um, in, a, in, a, in a few minutes. But And at wide receiver for, for Miami, Jeff Thomas, really been Miami's best receiver this year. 12 receptions for 315 yards. That's an exceptional stat line. Over 26 yards per catch. Playing really, really well this season, Thomas. Not getting the ball a ton every game, 
but when he gets it, he's making a big play. So that's going to be an interesting matchup, and it'll be interesting to see. Hopefully, Miles Dorn's back for this game. I don't know if we'll know. Probably won't know till Thursday night when we see uh, the team warming up if Miles Dorn is going to play. But expect to see KJ Sales lined up against Jeff Thomas, um, Patrice Renee. While he's been a decent quarterback, uh, excuse me, cornerback this season and over the past few seasons for UNC, I just he has the physical frame for it, but hasn't shown me enough. So expect KJ Sales if he is healthy and, and does play in this game. Still think Sales is a question mark. Expect him to be going up against Jeff Thomas, and if Sales doesn't play. I'm a little bit scared to see who's going to be covering Thomas because I don't really think we have somebody that can really go man-to-man with Thomas. Um, and I think KJ Sales is probably the only option. I don't even know. I'm not too confident in Sales and his ability to go up against Thomas as well. I love Sales' energy. I love the enthusiasm he plays with, but he is still a little bit susceptible at times, especially to the deep ball. But, yeah, Jeff Thomas, I think, is is going to be the main threat for the, for the Miami Hurricanes at the wide receiver position. So it'll be interesting to see. And what I'm looking forward to seeing the most is what quarterback is going to get a majority of the snaps and who's going to be feeding the ball to the likes of the running backs and to the likes of Thomas at the wide receiver position. Because right now, I think uh, your guess is as good as mine. If I had to give a nod, I'm saying Cozy Perry is going to get a majority of the snaps in that game, like I've said before. But with the likes and experience of Malik Rozier right there as well, I wouldn't be surprised to see some split time between the quarterbacks in this game for the Miami Hurricanes. Um, defensively, Miami, we all know the, the famous turnover chain. They're letting up about 220 yards per game this season, 223 yards to be exact. 145 of those are passing, 79 of those yards are rushing, and only averaging 1.5 turnovers a game, which doesn't sound like a lot, but still, 1.5 turnovers, two turnovers a game is, is a good stat line, especially since the fact that Miami's only played four games this season. That's not a bad stat line at all, turnover-wise. So I think... To focus on some of the keys for Carolina in this game, Carolina has to take care of the ball. That turnover chain just gives Miami a ton, a ton of confidence, a ton of swagger as a defensive unit. So if Carolina cannot turn the ball over offensively, not give that Miami offense any easy field position because of turnovers, I think Carolina is going to have a good opportunity to to come out of this Miami game with the win. But that's not the only thing they're going to have to do, in my opinion. The defensive unit for Carolina is going to have to play aggressive, like I've said. They're going to have to play disciplined, and they're going to have to really come out and take it to this Miami team, especially based on the fact that I don't really think Miami knows who their best quarterback is right now. And if it is Perry, his lack of experience is something Carolina should get after. Really try to rush the quarterback with the likes of Malik Carney coming back. Obviously, Timon Fox will be sitting out this game for his suspension. So it's good to have Carney back. Disappointing to see Fox not being able to play. It would be nice to have our two of our best defensive ends and two of our best defensive players really playing at the same time. But I think that Carney coming back to the starting lineup as a leader and as good of a player as he is, he is has NFL written all over him, in my opinion. So it's going to be interesting and exciting to see how Malik Carney comes out in this game. And hopefully he can really disrupt that that uh, excuse me Miami passing game and, and force whoever the quarterback is to make quick decisions and get the ball out of his hands quickly and uncomfortably and if we can do that I think Miami is going to find it difficult because of their really lack of running game at this point in the season and with Carolina's ability to to cover the run and defend the run pretty well at least a lot better than they defend the passing game in my opinion I think that pressure on the quarterback playing disciplined and playing aggressively are the three keys for Carolina defensively as a unit in order to really 
get this Miami Hurricanes offense um, off balance. And, and, and if they can make whoever the quarterback is, whether it's Rosier or Perry, feel uncomfortable in the pocket, that's going to do huge things for the Carolina secondary and the Carolina linebacking core in terms of what they need to do on the field. So one more thing I want to touch on is the return of some important players for North Carolina from suspension. Going to go ahead and read off the list of the players that will be eligible to play on Thursday night against Miami. Quarterback Chaz Surratt, wide receiver Bo Corrales, obviously Malik Carney back for the first time since that California game. First game of the season, Tyrone Hopper, Jordan Tucker, Malik Robinson, Quiron Johnson, and Brian Anderson all back for the Tar Heels in this game. Like I said earlier, Timon Fox will be ineligible to play, serving one of his suspension for this game. So obviously the likes of Chaz Surratt returning to the the Carolina fold and returning to as an option for the Carolina quarterbacking group. Don't be surprised to see Surratt get some reps in this game. Don't be surprised to see Surratt have an opportunity in this game to kind of show what he can do and show that he's the better option than Nathan Elliott. Elliott will 100% start this game. He had a really good game against Pitt like we've already touched on. But if Elliott comes out in this game and goes back to his old ways, plays like he did against California, plays like he did against ECU, expect to see Chaz Surratt given an opportunity. And I think if Surratt's given an opportunity, I hope, I'm not too confident, but I really, really hope that he takes advantage because while I do not think that Surratt is exponentially better than Nathan Elliott, I think Surratt's ability to throw, his ability to run the ball, and really just the more power he has in his arm compared to Elliott gives him a little bit more of an advantage as a quarterback. But one thing we saw with Surratt last year was that when Elliott came in against Miami, ironically, last season after Surratt got banged up and had to sit out, Elliott really showed that he was a, a lot better of a leader than Chaz Surratt. And a lot of that had to do with the fact that Chaz Surratt was so young and the fact that Elliott had been around the program for a lot longer. So guys knew Elliott, guys trusted him, guys knew how hard Elliott had worked to get there and have an opportunity to play in the first place. I think that's one of the main reasons so many guys rallied around him. But as we've seen earlier this season, or earlier in this season, excuse me, um, being a leader is not the only thing that wins football games. You have to be able to compete at a high level. And like I've said before, I'm just not sure, well, I am sure that Nathan Elliott is not a Power 5 quarterback, and I think Surratt has a lot more upside and fits Larry Fedora's offense a lot more, really just based on the fact that he's able to run and get out of situations that Carolina often finds themselves in especially at the quarterback position. Some of Carolina's best years have obviously been with the likes of Marquise Williams, who was a terrific runner, and Surratt's nowhere near the running ability of, of Marquise Williams. But even Mitch Trubisky, while he was such a good passer, and that's why he was drafted number overall, number two, excuse me, overall in the draft, he also had, Trubisky also had wheels. He had an ability to get out of the pocket when he needed to. So I think that Chaz Surratt is a better option at quarterback, but if Elliott plays like he did against Pittsburgh, you probably won't see too much of Chaz Surratt, but unfortunately, I think that's holding the team back just a little bit and holding this offense back just a little bit because with Elliott, a lot of the passes you're seeing are these short line of scrimmage passes, screen passes. I think really only against Pittsburgh, the two there was about three deep passes, and two of those were to a wide-open Michael Carter and um, a wide-open Deami Brown. And the only other long pass was a, a jump ball that was underthrown, actually, for Anthony Ratliff-Williams that he just made up and, and went up and made an exceptional play on. So the fact that Nathan Elliott really just hasn't shown me that he can throw the deep ball consistently, I think is holding back this offense. 
and I would love to see Chaz Surratt given an opportunity to go in there just to see what he has. So don't be surprised to see them splitting reps. Obviously, Bo Corrales, another good guy to have back, had a really good game against Miami, two touchdowns last season. Really good red zone option, a tall, lengthy, athletic wide receiver who I think is if he can, you know, stay on the field, obviously, and then get out of, and obviously will be back now unless Carolina schedules another game for the rest of the season. I think Corrales is going to add a lot to this wide receiver core that, besides really Anthony Ratliff Williams and Daz Newsom, has probably underperformed, not performed as well as we'd have liked this season. So excited to see Bo Corrales back in, and hopefully he has he has as big as a game against Miami this week than he did last year. Um, Malik Carney, we already touched on him, great pass rusher. I think he's going to be playing in the, on Sundays in the next few seasons and uh I think having him back is gonna be a really really big boost for this defense and hopefully Miles Dorn is back as well from injury because if we can get those two guys back and we can get Dorn healthy our defense I think has a lot more leaders on it on the field but also has a lot better players on the field than you will see if Carney and Dorn are not playing so excited to see how this Miami game goes on Thursday night keys to the game for Carolina defensively like we've said play smart play disciplined, play aggressively, and get after the quarterback. And I think you'll see some good things happen offensively. If Nathan Elliott does get the nod, which he definitely will get the start, get the ball out of Elliott's hands quickly, give it to your playmakers, and establish a running game early through Antonio Williams and Michael Carter, even Jordan Brown as well, and, and get after this Miami team. Because like I said, besides the LSU game, they simply just have not been tested this season in North Carolina, especially how they played last year, really gave Miami a run for their money up until about the fourth quarter in Chapel Hill last season. I think Carolina's got a good shot at this game, but they're going to have to play well, and they're going to have to play the most complete game that they've played all season. Unfortunately, if I had to pick a scoreline for this game, the Carolina fan in me would say 31-28 North Carolina, but the realistic me, based on how Carolina has performed this season and last season, I think this Miami's going to come out on top probably going to be a 35 to 21 scoreline because I do think that this Carolina offense will score some touchdowns but the one thing that does worry me is can this Carolina defense not let up points obviously let up 35 points against Pitt who is um not on the same level offensively obviously as Miami does not have as much speed as Miami does not play as physically as Miami so uh, based on this, how we play, how the defense has played this season, I'm not sure that they're going to be able to stop this offense regardless of who the quarterback is, just based on the fact that this is the best offense they will have seen all season so far. So looking forward to the game on Thursday night, hoping North Carolina can go down there and uh, get the victory. Be expecting some more podcasts. I'm going to try to get, definitely going to have a review podcast of the Miami game. That'll probably be coming out Thursday where we'll sit here and talk about that Miami game and and look forward to the bye week coming up for the Tar Heels. Obviously, Carolina not playing at home again until Virginia Tech on October 13th. So a lot of off time and a lot of off days for this Carolina team. So hopefully they'll go into this Miami game and play really well and uh, come back with a victory. Because if Carolina can get this victory against Miami, come back to Chapel Hill and really just show up again against Virginia Tech, who obviously we saw what happened to them against Old Dominion inexplicably. This past weekend, Carolina can can get a, a streak rolling here, but if they go down Miami and don't play well, it's not going to bode well for the rest of the season because Carolina has to start as a program competing and beating some of these bigger names if they want to get back to the level that they were in 2015, even 2016 under Trubisky, especially at the start of that season. So 
interested and really excited to see how this game goes Thursday night in Miami. Not expecting a huge crowd to be down there. I saw a tweet um, from somebody related to Carolina saying that tickets were on sale for the Miami game were $5. So any Carolina fans that can afford to get down there, you can definitely get a real cheap ticket. Obviously, that stadium being about 20 miles outside of the Miami campus certainly doesn't help them at all. So not expecting a, a huge crowd down there, a huge home field advantage for Miami, but make no mistakes about it. This is a good football team, and this is going to be Miami's second toughest test of the season, and they didn't play well against LSU, so fingers crossed they don't play too well against Carolina either. But just want to thank everybody again for listening to the first episode of the Carolina Talk podcast. We'll be back here on Friday talking hopefully about a Carolina victory down in Miami. Like I said earlier, be sure to follow the Carolina Talk podcast on Twitter at Carolina Talk Pod. Again, that's on Twitter at Carolina Talk Pod. And really, really appreciate any feedback anybody has. If you want to be a part of this podcast, you're a Carolina fan that wants to be on this podcast, wants to be featured on it, um, please do not hesitate to DM me through Twitter. And we can definitely get that ball rolling. I want to have Carolina fans on here as much as possible. And I really want this podcast to be the voice of the fans by the fans, for the fans. The Carolina Talk Pod is here and here to stay. Thanks for listening, everybody. Hopefully, we'll be having a a great discussion on Friday and talking about a Carolina victory. But nonetheless, thanks for listening, everybody. Go Heels, and we'll see you next time.